Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 12. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 871. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is a translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. I was doing some worship preparation for 2021, and I noticed last January, the first Sunday in January, uh, we've been moving through the book of Luke rather slowly. I didn't realize how slowly. Last January, we were in Luke chapter 7. (laughs) So, um, but we do preach through books of the Bible here. We believe the scriptures are the inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word of the true and living God. Yesterday, well, before yesterday, New Year's Eve, my mother-in-law, Elaine, uh, was telling my uh, wife that she had finished her Bible reading for the year, had completed the entire Bible. And so she was going to start over on a new reading plan and was asking my wife about her reading plan. And uh, my wife had already uh, planned to go through a a plan with a chronological, you you go through the Bible chronologically. So, um, and she says she's done that before and found it to be helpful in, in understanding other parts of the Bible. And then yesterday I had a a discussion uh, with Lee Baird just about reading the Bible, uh, reading the Bible through in a year. And um, it, it's, it did strike me. And so I wanted to do something. I, I could have planned it better and, and done it um, next week, but we're all getting started with our resolution. So I, wanted, I, I cut off part of the sermon today to uh, give you this challenge. Um, I know several of you have a Bible reading plan, and uh, I, I know also uh, several of you are intimidated to start a Bible reading plan because you wonder if you'll be able to understand the Bible. What I would like, what I would love to know is how many of you are reading, planning on reading through the Bible in 2021, and how many of you would like to try but need some help? Uh, 
email me this afternoon with your plan for reading through the Bible. I think that'll be encouraging to me. But then, or if you haven't done that before and would like to do that, uh, email me with your questions. Um, I've got I've got some very helpful resources. Um, you know, to read through the Bible only takes ten to fifteen minutes a year. Three three chapters a year, typically. I mean, a day. Um, there's other plans where you can read through the Bible one chapter at a time in three years. There's other plans where you can read through the New Testament in a year. There are plans where you can read the entire Bible in, uh, once every 90 days, which is four times a year. It takes about 45 to 50 minutes of reading, but you don't really have time to, to go and search out you know, things that catch your, your mind um, as you're reading. And if you're really intimidated, one of the things that uh, I've recommended in the past, I haven't recommended it uh, recently, and that's to my shame, is the Essential Bible Guide. And it's the top 100 chapters in the Bible. And as you read through, and it gives you a little one, one and a half page summary of that chapter, you go through the whole scripture um, and get the, the gist of it so that it's less intimidating to read through the Bible in a year. So if you want to email me, I can send you the link for how you can get this book and, and several resources um, that go along with it. So no better way I could think of to spend my afternoon than reading your emails and responding to them, encouraging and, and helping you uh, make a goal to read through the Bible this year. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10. With that being said, let's jump into the scripture. I saw on social media this week uh, a little meme. It was four words long. It said, New Year, same God. And as we head into 2021, I think that that is a great reminder that our God remains who he is. He is ever faithful to his promises. He is ever loving toward his people. He is ever in control of all his creatures and all our actions. Even though it may seem as if the ground underneath our feet is shifting, God is our firm foundation. This sermon is part two of the sermon I began two weeks ago as um, an encouragement to help us live our lives in light of eternity. You will remember the quote that I used from Jonathan Edwards. He said, when we come to the end of eternity, we'll realize that we have eternity still to go. Um, in other words, this life is not all that there is. This life is short, but eternity is long. Uh, it goes on forever and ever. And when we reach the end of forever, we realize that we have eternity to go. Um, when weighed in the balance, eternity is more important than this life. There's so many things in this life that seem so weighty, so important here in this life. But in the big scheme of things, 
when weighed in the balance of eternity, these things are not so important. There are many things that can appear even to be morally necessary here in this life, but when viewed in light of eternity, it becomes clear that maybe they're rather unimportant or morally evil. For instance, chasing so hard after the next dollar or making sure you get the proper recognition for your accomplishments. But when viewed in the light of eternity, our priorities that seem so important begin to shrink and become insignificant when we really have our priorities in order. With God the Lord of our life, with God the Lord of eternity, with God our Lord, you need to be prepared for eternity. You need to get eternity right. Life is short. Eternity is long. So let's look at the passage. Jesus and his disciples had just left a very contentious luncheon. You'll remember that uh, going back a few weeks. Jesus is calling down woes on the the Pharisees and the the religious uh, lawyers. And uh, they were hating him. They were trying to entrap him. And so after the luncheon, Jesus is walking back to where he had been preaching. And he began to teach his disciples that the same hatred that was being displayed toward him in that, in that luncheon, that would be displayed toward him when he would be nailed to the cross, when he would be uh, unjustly condemned to die, when the crowds would cry out, uh, send Jesus to the cross and let that, that criminal Barabbas go. That same hatred would be displayed toward his disciples. And so he began to teach them how to stand firm in their witness for Christ by teaching them to live their lives in light of eternity. Jesus anticipated that his 12 disciples would face death threats, that they would indeed, um, many of them, be martyred for their faith. Indeed, that's exactly what happened to many of them. They died very violent and painful deaths. Of course, I don't think that we will suffer that sort of persecution in our lifetime. Um, But there are several lessons here in this passage that I think will apply to us. The root temptation that Jesus is warning his disciples about is not about being scared of dying. Rather, He's warning them not to be afraid of men. Look at verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. First thing you should notice is how tenderly Jesus addresses his disciples there in verse 4. He says, my friends. You know, this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus called 
his disciples, my friends. Uh, Jesus will say some things in this passage that might, be, that might sound harsh at first. But listen to him as we go through this passage. Listen to him within the context of him addressing his disciples as his friends, as addressing us who belong to him as his friends. Or as Hebrews chapter 2 says, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. In regard to the fear of man, I'll be honest, I don't really have a lot of fear about dying, you know. One out of one of us will die, right? Uh, Whether by natural causes or whether by the hand of man, I know I'll die, and I know that my salvation is secure in Christ. In fact, uh, I don't know if I've, I've used this quote in a long time. It's one I've had in my memory. It kicks around, and I, I, I say it to myself from time to time because it encourages me. It's from Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Baptist preacher in the uh, 19th century. He said that he was so sure of his salvation that he'd be willing to swing out over the pit of hell on a spider's web and laugh at Satan in his face. Now, that is security in your salvation, if you're willing to do that. And I know the moment I close my eyes in death that I will open them in the presence of my Savior. My God promises that here in the Scriptures. So, I'm not really afraid of death, but when it comes to the opinions of man, I'm a big scaredy cat. Uh, Like they say at Alcoholics Anonymous, Hi, my name's Wes Holland, and I am a people pleaser. And like a recovering alcoholic, I know how dangerous it is and how displeasing to God it is, so I seek Uh, help and grace from God daily. I seek his forgiveness continually. And you know what? God has changed my life and is continuing to change me, and there's still a whole lot of changing he needs to keep doing. I look back at my 20-year-old self and uh, my teenage self, and and I hardly recognize myself, uh, such as... Has God's patient work um, in me been done and is continuing to be done? Uh, You would not want me, frankly, as your pastor, if God had not been doing a work of sanctification in that regard. And uh, people-pleasing is really a perverted form of self-love. And so when, when Jesus is saying, don't fear man, it's, it's more than don't fear man who can kill you, but don't fear man. Don't put your men's opinions as being more important than God's opinions. All the while, when you're a people pleaser and you make people think that you're 
You're trying to make people think that you're serving them. Really, a lot of people-pleasing is really using other people to fulfill your own desires for approval from them. When I was in high school, I would hold the door open for people as, as we would change classes between, you know, between classes or whatever. I'd hold the door open and all these people were coming through. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, these people think that, that Wesley is the nicest uh, guy in school. Oh, he's such a wonderful guy. The, the ladies are going to fall at my feet, you know, right? And you know what they were thinking? Absolutely nothing, right? You know, they're, they're self-centered high schoolers. They're, they're talking about whatever, walking through the door, don't even notice likely that, that um, anyone was holding it open. Uh, the key to my ongoing transformation is the lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples. Listen to verses 4 and 5 and see if you can figure out what this key is. Again, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, Fear him. Do you get it? Fearing God can help drive out the fear of man. In fact, fear can be a proper motive for living life in the same way that pain is a protective uh, mechanism. You know, you burn your finger, you don't touch the stove because it's hot. So, key or the key uh, to fear, rather, is fearing the right thing. Uh, this is the eternal perspective that I, that, that I was talking about two weeks ago that I mentioned earlier in this sermon. God is God. I know that God is the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God that he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And I know that I will stand before him one day, and I will have to answer to whether I was more concerned about people's opinions or his opinion. Am I, in other words, the center of my universe wanting people to give, give, give to me? Or is God the center of my universe where I give myself to Him in order that I can give myself to other people more selflessly? I will have to answer to Him whether I believe that He is powerful enough to change me. And I will have to answer to Him whether I was willing to trust Him enough to change me. The fear of God that Jesus is speaking of here is not a fear or, or a, uh, a dread of God. Um, remember, he's addressing his disciples as who? As my friends. So he's not trying to scare them, or terrify them into being obedient, into uh, not fearing men. Uh, Jesus is simply saying, that when they are faced with the terrifying prospect of being killed by the enemies of the gospel, 
that there is more to consider than your next breath. In other words, God is greater than any man. The absolute worst that a man can do is to kill the body. But God has the power to cast people into eternal damnation. Again, verse 5, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. See, this is the eternal perspective. This sort of fear of God, reverent um, obedience to him, love, knowing that he loves you as, as um, your heavenly father, knowing that you are his dearly loved child, being able to have the fear of God, to put the brakes on when you are faced with temptation, or to cause you to press forward in your witness for Christ, even when it is unpleasant, painful, even, um, even could be deadly to do so. This is the eternal perspective. And so Jesus says at the end of verse 5, Yes, I tell you, fear him. What are the sins that you struggle with that seem bigger than your ability to control? Selfishness and self-centeredness. Hatred and desires for revenge. Lust and pornography. Pervasive worldliness and love of money. People-pleasing and the fear of man. What are sins that you struggle with? Fearing God can help chase those temptations away. Can help you stand firm and say no when you feel like everything in you is saying yes. Compare those things to the fear of God. Remember, Jesus says, yes, I tell you, fear him. And in case you think that Jesus is saying that we need to live our lives in terror of God, Jesus says that is stinking thinking because God loves you deeply. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have no need to ever be afraid that God is out to harm you. God sent his son into the world to die for us, to die for our sins. When Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, he took all our sins upon himself. Not part of them, not 99% of them. He took all of them, past present, even your future sins that you have yet to commit. He took them on himself. He became sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. He took the full penalty. He took the full punishment and wrath that we deserved. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, there is nothing but unmitigated love and acceptance that you will receive from God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, God is not following you around with his hand upraised, ready to smack you down and cast you into hell. You are his beloved child. He loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ. 
And God is telling his disciples that when they are being threatened with persecution or martyrdom, or sorry, Jesus is telling his disciples that when they're being threatened or persecu- pers- threatened with persecution or martyrdom, God is not absent. Rather, just the opposite. At that moment of great temptation, they are in the forefront of God's mind and thoughts. In fact, there's not a moment that you are not in the forefront of God's mind and concern. Listen to what Jesus is telling his disciples in verses 6 and 7. And by extension, listen to what he is saying to you. So he's just said, fear God. But now, verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus uses the most insignificant things. You know, five sparrows that are, are, that are sold for only two pennies. I mean, what a bargain. Because the sparrows are, have no value. They are so insignificant. And... Jesus is also using an illustration from the most meaningless of things. You know, a hair falls from your head without you even noticing. How insignificant is that? And yet God says, He knows about each and every hair that falls from your head. So, your most insignificant moments... Your most meaningless occurrences are not meaningless to God. That's what Jesus is saying here in verses 6 and 7. He is, this is Jesus' way of saying, God cares for you with a detailed concern. He knows you. He knows your circumstances. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your family's life exhaustively, comprehensively, and in detail. And he cares about it. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus added, Not one of the insignificant sparrows, and I added the word insignificant, not one of the insignificant sparrows falls to the ground apart from the Father. Whatever happens to us only happens with God's permission and for our good and his glory. I know 2020 has been a blow to the gut every week. Um, And being a pastor, I I know some of the blows to your guts that, that other people don't know. It's been a hard year. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You are more significant to God than all the hairs that fall from your head. And the argument is from the, the, the lesser to the greater. You know, if he, he cares about those little sparrows and those insignificant or... Um, or um, unknown hairs that fall from your head, how much more is he going to care about the big things, the hard things, the sufferings that are going on, uh, have gone on or are presently going on in your life? 
You know, there's a widespread belief among Christians that God only does things that make Christians happy all the time, time, time. And uh, that's a very immature belief. You know, standing up and acknowledging Christ before people who hate Christ and who are willing to kill you, to shut you up, that is not a pleasant experience. You know, I don't think it's even a pleasant experience for Jimbo, you know, who loves going and meeting complete strangers and talking to them about Jesus. Um, it's, it's unpleasant. But that's what God is calling us to do. That's what Christ was calling his, his disciples to do. He knew that that was going to come their way after he went to the cross. And throughout Christian history, there have been men and women, even whole families, that were murdered because of their testimony for Christ. Jesus was anticipating that being his follower is going to be difficult, unpleasant, even fatal. And so he's warning his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them how to live in light of eternity so that they can set an example for us who follow. Again, Jesus is giving us an encouragement from the eternal perspective. He's saying that if we are willing to stand up for Jesus in this life, Um, even in the face of persecution, he will stand up before us uh, in front of the angels of God. Uh, sorry, I, I meant to read verses 8 and, uh, well, just verse 8, because this will be the last verse. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. So, let me... Uh, get a run and start at this point again. Jesus gives us an encouragement from an eternal perspective. He is saying here in verse 8 that if we are willing to stand for him here in this life, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of being put to death for his name, that he will stand up for us before the angels of God when we get to heaven. Um, on the day of judgment, Jesus will not just stand, uh, stand up as our righteous advocate who suffered for us, but he's going to stand and declare to all the holy angels that are gathered about. He's going to declare that we stood for him and we suffered for him. He suffered for us and he's going to announce to the angels that we suffered for him. That's what verse 8 is saying. Uh, Matthew Henry says this, It should seem to be a considerable part of the happiness of glorified saints that they will not only stand right in Christ's righteousness, but stand high in the esteem of the holy angels. If you are willing to suffer disdain, to, to suffer humiliation, rejection, or worse, because you are standing for Christ. Christ will stand for you and point out your faithfulness to the gathered angels in heaven. Hear that, Jimbo? You know, 
Because I know you're standing in the prisons, you're standing out in College Hill, and I know that uh, you receive a lot of rejection. And uh, there is a reward um, to be had where Jesus stands up and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Fear of man and rejection versus acclamation and the esteem of the angels. Weigh those in the balance. <laughs> you know, the, the, the weight of eternity far outweighs the rejection and the humiliation that we might suffer here in this life. Which will you choose, to stand for Christ or to fear man? I know that it is hard standing up in the face of opposition and standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to be his witnesses. Jesus knew that it would be hard. That's why he said these things to his friends. He told them, keep an eternal perspective. Look beyond this life. Look to the unseen and eternal things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Why does he do so? We're his friends, and he loves us. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to stand for Jesus, um, even when we are tempted to shrink away. I pray that you would fortify our faith, because you are fortifying our love for you. Oh, Lord, give us a fear of God uh, that, um, that emanates in God's love for us. We ask in his name. Amen.